Amen. Well, please turn in God's Word, if you would, to Romans chapter 14. And we have been studying this book of Romans, looking at who God is, and also in other passages. Last time I taught on Romans 13, now we come to Romans 14, and we're going to see that God is judge. And we're going to see how his judgment, specifically for believers in this passage, should impact us and should impact the way that we judge others. And I feel this way so many times, but this is an incredibly important study for us. I'm convinced this is something we do not hear enough about. We do not think enough about the fact that we are going to stand before God's judgment as believers. And we're going to give an account of our lives. When was the last time you, you meditated on that? And that's how that actually impacted how you were living, thinking about that you are going to stand before your Lord Jesus. And think about how you're judging others in light of his judgment. Do you even think that there's a judgment for believers or is that just for unbelievers? Sometimes in the way we speak, we can make it sound that way. But God, we're going to see in this passage, is going to judge. And he's not only going to judge those who are going to hell, he has a judgment for those who are going to heaven. And this should impact us here on earth. Look at verse 10 of Romans 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, or of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather... Decide, and that's the same word translated past judgment, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. The key word in this chapter is judgment. Ten times in Romans 14, and we'll look at some of the others, the Greek word for judge or judgment is used of God's judgment and man's judging, and in the context of Christian liberty judgments or decisions that we need to make. And so we're going to look at this passage at God's judgment on believers. And then we're going to look at our judging of believers. God's judgment of believers and our judging of believers. And specifically, believers who may differ from us in areas that God's Word does not call sin. 1 Peter 4.17 says, God's Judgment begins with the house of God. And so that's where we're going to begin today in Romans 14. So first, God's judgment of believers. And this is, verse 10 is written for brothers in Christ. Christ is the subject here of his judgment to come. Paul is a believer in Christ, of course, and he's writing this in verse 10 when he says, We will all, we believers, will all stand before the judgment seed of God. He's writing to the church. The word here is Bema, B-E-M-A. This is not the usual word for the judgment of unbelievers used in other passages. This isn't even a, the word used of a, a courtroom judge and the law. This is actually a Greek word that was used in the context of the ancient Greek Olympic Games. There were judges over those games who would give, they would sit in this judgment seat, this Bema seat, and they would give wreaths, they would give rewards to to those based on what they did in the games, to the athletes. Paul uses this image in 1 Timothy 4.8 when he says, I have finished In the future there is a, a crown or this imperishable wreath that the Judge will award me. There's only one other word for Bema seat judgment is used. And that's 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Pastor Corey read from this last week. We make it our aim to please him, for we will all appear before the judgment seat 
of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there's a judgment on the evil that people have done. But this is as believers. We want to please him because we're going to stand before a judgment seat. And there's going to be reward or receiving what is due for, for good things that are done as well. Other translations say recompense for his deeds or repaid for what we did, whether it was good or worthless. It's the same word in Ephesians 6.6. 6, says we're not to work for man to please man, but we're to please the Lord because it says whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. We need to not please man. We need to please the Lord knowing that we're going to actually receive back from the Lord good that we've done. 2 Corinthians 5, the aim is to please Christ because we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There is a recompense or reward for deeds that pleased him. And whatever we did didn't please him, we'll be judged, we'll be burned away as worthless. Maybe you've heard the he stood, only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ, what, will last. It's only what we do for Christ that, that, that will last when this life is passed. And so what Paul's talking about here is not the Romans 1. You guys want me to try a different microphone? All right. In Romans chapter 1, there is a, a judgment of wrath for sinners. In Romans 14, there is a reward, a judgment of reward or recompense for, for saved sinners. So Romans 14, 12 says, Each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what does that include, that giving an account to God? Well, Jesus said, On the day of judgment... People will give an account for every careless word that they will speak. Hebrews talks about how we watch over souls as those who will give an account. And then it, it talks about how God's word judges the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. And it says, we are all laid bare and exposed before the view of him to whom we must give an account. The judge Jesus sees all things. And if he is not yet your Lord and Savior, this is a, an important thing to know that there is judgment coming for everything you've said and, and done. And it's a judgment for the, the evil that you have done. And if you do not fall before him in faith, if you, don't, if you don't come before him looking to the cross, as we sang about, the cross is where judgment and mercy come together. If you beg him for mercy before that day, there is mercy that you can receive. So you don't face eternal judgment. And so I would plead with you, if you are not yet in Christ, you're not sure, not secure in him, to, to come to him, fall before him in faith before that eternal judgment comes. But this passage is talking about four believers. There's a judgment for us as well. Thought, word, and deed. He sees all things. In fact, when John the believer sees him in Revelation 1, he sees that his eyes are like a flame of fire. His eyes burn through and see and can discern all things. And he's looking at the churches, even in their outward works, looking at their heart. The Lord sees that. And, but I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians 3. If you would just flip a few pages forward, there's more about this we can see. And in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says Christ must be the foundation. He says, if anyone builds, 1 Corinthians 3.12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives... He will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. The loss is the loss of reward, like verse 14. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So Paul's saying there's some who will be saved, but 
Much of their life work will burn and it won't last. It won't get a reward because only what's done for Christ will last on that last day. There is a judgment. There's a day that he talks about coming for believers that should motivate how we're living this day. Where each one's work will be manifest. It'll be disclosed. It'll be tested by Christ. And so we need to test our, our lives and our thoughts here to think about what are we living for? What are we building our lives on? Is Christ, like this passage says, is he the, the focus? Is he the foundation? So easy to get our eyes on other things. We need to keep turning our eyes on, on Jesus and, and all that we do. Are we doing it to please him? Because everything else is going to burn away. This is all going to burn. But there are things that will pass the test, it says in verse 14. And there is a reward for those things specifically. The Bible doesn't go into details to what those rewards are, but it, it lays out there are rewards for what we do. Our, our life does matter for eternity. And so verse 10 says, Let each one take care how he builds. Because it counts in eternity. There's only one life. It'll soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ shall last. This is a sobering truth. This, this is something I haven't meditated on enough, and I don't want to just move on from this truth. We need to think about what our Lord himself, the one who will be the judge on that day, what the Lord Jesus said about this. Because he sees what's going on behind the scenes. God sees even as you're planting seeds that others will water, that you don't even see the, the fruit of that in this life. Look at verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Your Bible might say his reward. It's the, it's the word translated reward in verse 14. It will receive on that coming day, and it's based on what we did, but also why we did it or, or who we did it for. The writer of Hebrews says, faith, the essence of faith is not just believing that God exists, but believing that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's, that's part of the essence of faith, believing that he rewards those who seek him. Jesus used this word, reward, and he talked about great reward for, for certain people. Great reward in heaven for, for men who on earth were persecuted or reviled or had people say all manner of evil against them falsely for his sake. He, he said, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. There's a great reward for those who suffer for the sake of Christ. Every believer has a reward, but Jesus spoke of some believers having a great reward. Or The apostle John talks about a full reward in Second John. But Jesus taught, love your enemies. Do good, lend, accepting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Those are the kind of things, not so much the big public things that people often focus on, but it's things like in private, loving your enemies, doing good that maybe no one else sees but the Lord, being generous, things like that. Jesus says your reward is great. Five times in the Gospels, Jesus mentions Things that you can do to store up treasure in heaven. In other words, invest in, in the kingdom to come. Seek that first. Store up treasure in heaven in this life. And he says in Matthew 5 or 6, if you fast or pray privately, not to be seen by men like the Pharisees were doing, but he says the Lord who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Even as you pray, even as you are willing to give up things for the sake of him, the Lord sees that, and he will reward that. Those who are faithful with their talents, Jesus taught, who are faithful with little, will be given much more in the kingdom to come. And what are some of the, the little things that we can be faithful in? Well, Jesus talked about giving, quote, one of these little ones a cup of cold water in my name for my sake. Because he's a disciple, he says, the one who does that will not lose that reward. When, when you're doing it, even serving a, a little person for the sake of the Lord, there is reward in that that will not be lost. So even thinking of some of you will be serving little kids 
even serving them cups of water or whatever we're going to give them. If you're doing it for the sake of the Lord, there's reward in there. But you can also do it with the wrong kind of heart or with a grumbling spirit, and, and there's not a reward with that. But little kids at BBS, but also praying, prayer ministry is such an important ministry. Doing good, there's so many ways you can do that. Loving people who are not very loving to you or who are hard to love. Those are the kind of things that are spoken of here. But even thinking of little ones, we need more faithful servants serving among our little ones and our children here at the, at the church. Uh, we, we can use more serving with our children even in our Sunday school program uh, for various age groups, our Thursday night children's ministry program can use more helpers. We can always use more helpers in the, in the nursery and serving with the children, even during the service. There are ways that we need you. The Lord calls you to serve. And those are some areas that it's been, to be honest, hard for us to fill some of those positions since we started regathering in the last couple of years. We need people to serve in those ways. But there's also other ways that you can serve doesn't have to be with little ones, but your big God calls you to serve. We could use more greeters. We, we can use more people involved with our, with our women's ministry and encouragement team. And you can talk with Donna Hall about some of those things. Or, or meals are a real practical way you can serve. People serving food for various events. Uh, there's some teaching opportunities we have right now at some senior facilities that if, if you have that on your heart or in a jail ministry, you'd like to learn more about ways that you might be able to use your gifts. Not everyone has the same gifts, but we are all called to be using our gifts. So the question, the challenge is, are you being faithful? Are you seeking to be faithful? Are you seeking to serve people? And, and much of it isn't public. Others know about, but we are called to be faithful and little, and this is where Paul goes in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, talking about faithful servants and rewards and the Lord's judgment. Chapter 4, verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. A steward is someone who's, who's not in charge, doesn't own it, but he's been given a position of responsibility for the master. That's who he's serving. And Paul very much was thinking about his master. In fact, even at the end of verse 4, he says, It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, so now he's going to move to talk about how we should think about other servants. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes or the motives of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul's not talking about things that God's word clearly lays out as sin that should be judged. In fact, chapter 5, he's going to talk about immorality in the church that they should not have been tolerant of. But here he's talking about the, the motives, the purposes of the heart. And there's things that, that we don't see that we're not to judge before the time, to pronounce judgment on. Before the Lord comes, he's the one who's going to weigh the hearts and the motives. And, and, and he will reveal and he will reward, but that's not our place. God judges. We cannot judge heart motives, but God will judge. And that should actually sober us. Because God will commend his good and faithful servants in the end. That's what should motivate us, our accountability to him we want to be those good and faithful servants amen and so that's the judgment god's judgment on believers but where this passage goes now romans 14 go back to romans 14 it's going to focus on our judgment of believers and it's going to focus on believers who see things differently which is a lot of us in this room we see things differently we're not talking about sin things but things that we see differently Last week's scripture reading was from James 4, where it says we're not to speak against or judge a brother because God is the judge. And it says, so who are you to judge? And I want to read Dave Swavely from his book, Who Are You to Judge? 
He says, in many years of pastoral counseling, I have repeatedly found that the difficulties people face in their marriages and their families and their churches and their jobs can be traced back to wrongful judgments that have been made in their minds concerning others. He says, almost as often I have found that these people were not even aware that that problem exists or that that's actually a primary cause of their conflicts and how they continue to struggle with people for years. But he says, when they've learned about this, what Paul's going to talk about here, he says, I'm glad to say that through repentance from this sin and practicing new ways of thinking, many have experienced peace like never before in their hearts and in their relationships with others. If we can actually, that's a close quote there, but if we can actually get this, what Paul is saying here, this can have a huge impact in how we relate in the body. This is huge. Back Romans 14, verse 19. It was read earlier by Alan. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pastor Corey talked about how to pursue peace. If you weren't here last week, you can get that message. And especially the last part of it, he talks about how to pursue peace. But I want to walk through this passage, go back to the start of the chapter. And I want to walk through it with that goal of how we can continue to pursue peace and building up others mutually. And I want to read this from the the Legacy Standard Bible translation because it brings out the word judgment in the original. Verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who, so that's the principle there, but I want you to think about other areas where we have differences. Verse 3, the one who eats must not view the one who does not eat with contempt. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who eats. So to judge and to have to look on them with contempt is paralleled. And here's the issue. For God has accepted him. God's accepted your brother in Christ. Who are you, verse 4, to judge the servant of another? To his own master... He stands or falls. In other words, you're not his master. The Lord is his master. And he will stand. Again, this is a believer. He will stand, this fellow believer, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day above another. So he's going to give some other examples of where Christians see things differently. But let me go back to verse 13 where we started. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather judge this, not to put a stumbling block or a fence before a brother. Don't trip up your brother. Build up your brother. Pursue peace with your brother. He says, judge this. It's the same Greek word, judge. The ESV has esteem, like one who esteems one day, or decide this. It, it translates it differently, but it's the same word, judge. It's, it's okay to judge one day is more important than another and how you're going to honor that day. It's not okay to esteem yourself as above another person, like you're better. Then it could be an issue that's not a sin issue that now becomes a sin issue because of pride, thinking you're better than others, esteeming others We're supposed to esteem others more highly than ourselves if we do esteem. But there's a sense in which we're not to judge. And there's another sense in which we do need to judge how not to make people stumble. It's the same word. We're to judge not a brother's heart, but we do need to judge in the sense of discern what hurts or might hurt a fellow believer, might cause them to stumble into sin. God is going to judge your brother's heart, but he is also going to judge your heart toward your brother. And that should sober us because we can so easily fall into thinking wrongly and less of others based on decisions that they make. So verse 10 in the ESV says, why do you pass judgment? And it adds this word, why do you despise your brother? 
So again, there's, there are things that we're called to, to judge, but we're never to judge others in the sense of despising them. The NASB says, why do you judge? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? Or the New King James, why do you show contempt? We can, we can sometimes have contempt and not show it, but it, it often can come out in our facial expression, our body language, even little noises we make, whatever it means. Other translations say condemn. Why do you criticize? Why do you look down on? Why are you judgmental towards other Christians? He would say, do you think you stand above other believers? Paul says, we need to remember, we're going to all stand before God, and we're not going to be able to stand. We're going to be kneeling. We're going to be falling down, and we're going to be all giving an account of our actions and our attitudes. Verse 11 says, every knee will bow to God on that day. So don't make others bow to your opinions, and don't look down on others in judgment. When We're all going to be falling down before the one to whom we must give an account. We're going to all be before the throne of God above. He's in charge, not us. And he doesn't need you to be judge or jury or prosecuting attorney. God can handle his role. He doesn't need your help. And it's okay to have opinions. I think this passage recognizes we're going to have opinions. We're going to have strong opinions at times. In fact, the irony is sometimes the, the one who's weak in faith actually has a very strong opinion. But he's not strong spiritually if he's using that to judge and despise and to be divisive with others. So it's okay to have opinions, but it's not okay to judgmentally think less of Christians who, who differ in their opinions. So if you find yourself to condemn in how you think of another or have contempt in how you view them or are critical in what you say to them or about them, you have what Paul would call a sinful, judgmental spirit. And you're going to have to give an account of that to God. He says, who are you? Who are you? God is God and I am not and you are not. Who are we to try to take his place? The ESV of verse 1 says that we need to welcome. What we need to do is welcome someone who may be weaker in a certain area. We're not to quarrel with him over opinions. We're not to, your Bible might say, argue about. It's the same Greek word for judge. That's the root of it. You're not to judge and then have to argue. It's not about winning arguments. It's about welcoming a family member. And so, Let's say you have a sister who is younger or weaker in the faith in a certain area. God's word is telling you, you need to accept her. You need to not argue with her. You need to recognize we're in different places of growth and opinions. There's disputable matters. There's disputable, debatable issues that you don't need to debate or crusade over. Where God's word hasn't judged Something is sin, we're not to judge sin because we're not God. His word is sufficient. We don't need to add to it. And verse 4 says, the bottom line is, you're not the master that that person ultimately reports to. He's not your slave, would be the image. And remember the context of this chapter is Christian liberty issues or conscience issues, conviction issues with what you eat or don't eat. I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson talking about having dinner with Alistair Begg one time. They were both from Scotland, and both of them grew up just a few years from each other, and they had this experience that they would get what we call oatmeal. They call it porridge, and they would ask their mom, can we have brown sugar on our porridge? And, and the mother, I guess every Scottish mother would say, no, you cannot have brown sugar on your porridge you have salt on your porridge and they would say but why can't we have it was almost like a, a game I guess or something you would just say in your home why can't we have brown sugar on our porridge and the Scottish mother would say because that's what the English do <laughs> and here they are in America now years later 
and they've always had that we, we can't, this in their mindset ingrained that we can't put brown sugar on porridge, but they're sitting at a Denny's and they order oatmeal. The waitress thought they were weird, and they ordered it with extra brown sugar because their, their conscience had been liberated from that. But he says, he says, you know what, as I was eating that, there was still a, a twinge of wondering whether this is really right to be enjoying oatmeal with brown sugar so much. And that's, that's more of a cultural thing, but what we're talking about here, what we see here between Jews and Gentiles was much deeper than that. It was, it was embedded in their very culture, and some of it was based on Scripture from actually certain statements in Scripture. And even maybe we don't know exactly why some were eating vegetables only, but they, they could have pointed to Genesis 1, that was the original diet, or, or Daniel, he chose vegetables rather than the meat there. Or there were kosher people who, eating non-kosher food, even though they know that Jesus pronounced all meats clean, it was still a, a struggle or a stumbling block to eat certain types of meats that they never did. Or in Corinthians, we hear about some from a background of, of Gentile idolatry where certain meats were associated or even involved in idol worship. That was a real issue for them. And what's bigger than that issue is how, do we, how are we going to relate to others who struggle in certain areas because of their background? That's the, that's the key issue. And that's what's going on in, in this passage here. And he's going to talk about some people who struggled over what they would drink drinking wine later in the passage. And there's freedom in Christ to not drink alcohol or to not eat meat or to only eat certain types of foods. There's freedom. That's a, that's a liberty in Christ. But the issue is don't judge other people by that. And don't judge me for eating bacon, even though that, you know that's, that's something... But you can eat too much bacon, it can become a, a sin issue if you're, if you're gluttonous. So gluttony is a sin as well. My, my life verse growing up, half-jokingly, was 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Eat whatever is put before you without asking questions. But actually, we, we do need to ask questions. And we, and we also, Paul would talk about, we need to not be mastered by anything. And we need to also take care of our bodies. So those are some, some principles there, but that's a... Eating bacon, I say that half-jokingly, but that's a liberty we have in Christ. Some of the people in Paul's days who were Jewish background, that would be a real issue for them. And, and you had to be willing to not eat pork or bacon around certain people if that would make them stumble. Maybe more common in our culture, some have alcoholic pasts or persuasions. And if you know that, don't drink alcohol with that person. And if that's your past, and some people have a painful past, even from that don't judge others who may drink but not get drunk because the bible says being drunk is a sin but it's also a sin to judge other people's hearts or judge beyond scripture and that the pre the key principle in verse three is this let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who does not, because God has welcomed him. And so you're to welcome him, because God's welcomed him. Verse 1, you welcome him. Don't look down on him. But if you know someone has a weakness or a struggle, don't, don't offend them. Don't intentionally do anything that would hurt them or cause them to struggle. So that's what verse 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide or literally judge never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You don't just say, he needs to get over it. No, you say, how can I make sure I'm not causing him to, to stumble or even to sin? Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is, in clean, is unclean in itself. Jesus, I think it's Mark 7, he declared all foods clean. The apostles understood that. Peter, it took him a while, though, to understand certain foods could be clean to eat. But Paul understands nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. In other words, if a, if a Jewish believer, for example, thinks it's unclean or someone because of idolatry thinks, this might be a sin for me to do it, he shouldn't just do it anyways. If it's not from faith, it's sin. He says at the end of the chapter, 
But here, verse 15, this is the key principle of love. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Christ died for him, and, and we can't even die to ourselves in some way around him. Christ gave up his very life for this person, and, and there's not something that you could give up for him and for your relationship. Verse 20, do not, for the sake of food, and we could add other, other things, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine. There's the, the wine statement. It's good to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Don't do that in his presence if you know that and you know it's going to make him stumble. But here's the takeaway. The, the takeaway isn't just walk however you want and then say, hey, don't judge me. The takeaway is walk in love so that the other person will not say, don't you love me? You don't just walk however you want and say, hey, you can't judge me. That, that's, that's not what this passage is saying. It's telling us not to judge, but that's not something we're just to throw out. Hey, don't judge me. Walk in love so that that person would never question, don't you love me? Don't flaunt your liberty. Walk with sensitivity. Don't flaunt your liberty. Walk with sensitivity. A humble person will not make someone else stumble intentionally. If we are humble, we want to strive to not make people stumble. Don't destroy God's work. Don't wound a man's conscience. And also, don't think everything is black and white. Some of you I know are very black and white thinkers, and you want everything to be black and white, but that's not. There's a, there's a passage of Scripture for what we might call gray areas or what Paul calls an opinion or a conviction that you have between you and God. So verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And this is something that scripture actually speaks to. So some Jews in particular, they esteem the, the Sabbath as special still. Friday night to Saturday night, they, they grew up, that was important to them. But some of these believers, that wasn't their past, or, or either way, some tried to see every day as, as the same, every day as, as important and, and living before the Lord and wanting to rest in Christ. Some centuries after Paul wrote this, some began to speak of Sunday as the Sabbath, not Saturday anymore. The, the Puritans, who I respect greatly, they called it the Christian Sabbath in their confessions and made much of that, and they esteemed it highly. They didn't esteem other days like Christmas and other special days that, that we might. We need to be convinced. I'm convinced in my own mind that, that Sunday is the Lord's day, and it's important because it's the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And, and I, I see that from the New Testament rather than from the Old Testament law about a day. But I don't call it the Sabbath because I don't see the the biblical writers calling that, or even the early church writers calling that day the Sabbath, they called it the Lord's Day. But I have friends who affirm those confessions who esteem that day higher, and that is okay. That's not something I'm going to try to pick a fight over. Because verse 6 says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. And yet that person also has to be careful for those who don't have all the same standards of what can and can't be done on that day, not to judge them. My biological brother, Mike, who I love, is part of the OPC denomination. He's an elder there. He's fully convinced in his mind of every line of the Westminster Confession of Faith on the Sabbath and what it says about the Antichrist, what it says about infant baptism. I'm fully convinced in my mind of believer's baptism and maybe less so of some of those other things, but when I'm with my brother, I don't quarrel or try to find the one area or the two areas where we might disagree. We focus on what we have in common in Christ. And as a local church, you need unity in some of those things, but we also need liberty in non-essentials. And we need to think and speak with charity of other believers 
who, who differ. And so Colossians 2.16 says, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a Sabbath day. That's one of the areas we're not to judge each other. He says, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He says, Do you submit to rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He says, Those are based on human commands, but they lack any value in restraining evil. Man's rules do not make man righteous. We've got enough to worry about just focusing on what Scripture says without adding to it our own rules, but let's bring it home and bring it closer to home. Two years ago, stay-at-home orders were in place for many weeks, and there were strict rules put in place for religious gatherings and what you could or couldn't do on the Lord's Day in all, all areas of life. It was this month, it might have even been this Sunday or this week, that we began to regather here as a church And I can tell you there were different opinions. There were different opinions among believers and leaders to a a lesser degree, but some were critical that we met outside. Others were critical that we even met at all. And I think being apart from corporate worship for for those weeks, many weeks, fueled the very thing that Paul's talking about here. It fueled passing judgment. Or some that never came back because we didn't do things the way they thought it should be in in their judgment. Some would judge us as fearful. Others would judge us as irresponsible for the same thing on different sides. Some felt we must obey all guidance. Others were judging those who obeyed guidance. Those who actually followed the guidance, they were being judged uh, for... All kinds of reasons we were judged all kinds of ways. Judged as prideful, judged as evil. Some passed judgment on what wasn't true or isn't even what we teach. And I think misunderstandings and misjudging proliferated. I mean, this is a, this is a passage. The principles here is, is still relevant, even though hopefully we're through the, the worst of that. But people passed judgment on all kinds of things. They had contempt towards believers, and I'm talking about people we know and love in some cases. Some had concerns for the health of at-risk parents they lived with, but people passed judgment on them as fearful simply because they had a facial covering, simply because of outward appearance. People were, even good people, I think, pronouncing judgments based on appearance. Others had condemnation for any with Unveiled faces as reckless, selfish, or even wanting others to die. No one actually said that here, but I've, I know from other pastors, sometimes they said, you just want people to die, don't you? And I think, do you actually think I want people to die? But everyone had to wrestle with those things. We remember those maybe painfully. Maybe it's, or maybe we're not far enough past this, but we still need to think about, because this principle in all kinds of areas can come up again. There's conscience issues based on Romans 13 that some would have in our relation to government. And, but others have constitutional issues and, and feel like, well, Paul, who wrote Romans 13, also appealed to, to his rights and appealed to Caesar, the highest authority, which would be the Constitution in our land. Others saw communist threats like countries they grew up in taking away freedoms. And so we have all these different perspectives within a local church and and the the issue is first of all this is a timely passage for the church but the issue is you might think other people are weaker in their position or their view but whoever you think that weaker person is Romans 14 says accept them without judging without looking down on them so the the next time things come that can that can cause us to to be tempted to, to judge others we need to remember what this passage says And I had to say this more than once from the pulpit. Don't judge others by what they do or don't put on their face or in their body. Whoever wants to put certain things in their body, that's a personal decision. And God's word calls people to to welcome each other and not to judge each other either way. So just to speak of the vaxxed or the masked believer is not to look with contempt on the one who is not or vice 
versa. Some would do certain things for medical concerns. Some would not do the very same thing because of their own medical concerns or ethical concerns, even in in their study and and their conviction about aborted cell lines and those things. The, The issue is Romans 14 says we are not to judge, we are not to despise, we are not to divide by those types of opinions. And verse 5 ends where we must let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. The solution isn't get everyone to think the way you do, which can't happen. The issue is we need to think how God would have me to think of others. Consciences differ, and so we support the freedom of consciences under God. And we had to land on a church that our conscience is going to obey for worship God above government, and so as, as you know, if you were here 20-some months ago, our church leaders, our elders and deacons, and with counsel of others, we respectfully chose to obey God's holy word and conscience above man's health guidance. One of the confessions I appreciate is the New Hampshire Confession. It says, government is to be conscientiously honored and obeyed, except in things opposed to the will of the Lord Jesus who is the only Lord of the conscience. So to us, that became more clear than some of the other things I've talked about. Continually forbidding church meetings opposes our king's will. But let's move on from that. Hopefully we will move on from that. Some of you have strong opinions about other things in church. Maybe it's music for you. Maybe it's hymns only or piano only or or even looking down on those. The Bible calls for a variety of hymns and spiritual songs and new songs and, and instruments, well, all kinds of instruments in Scripture. Some of them have a beat. Some of them have a string as well. And, but the issue is, let not this believer look down on that believer. Let not the older look down on the younger or vice versa over things like that. Don't quarrel over opinions. And, and what do you do with, with your opinions a lot of time? You keep it to yourself if you're not asked. We all have opinions that we keep to ourselves when we're not asked. Here's what verse 22 says, and I like the NIV wording. Verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. That would go a long way. Just that verse where the NAS says, have as your own conviction before God. There are things we need to wrestle with and even study and even Think of what's wise for me and my family. How will we serve the Lord? But you don't need to debate or crusade for your view after church. Some of us have our kids in some version of public school this next year. And that would be a number of us here in the church. But there are many other families who make different decisions. Many other families have... Children in homeschool environments, we did that for a number. We did homeschool, private school, public, Christian, public charter, all those different things. Not every decision is going to be the same for different people. We've all got to wrestle with what's best for us. But, but here's, here's the issue. Let each be convinced in his own mind. Don't have contempt on people with different convictions. Don't look down on me because I make a choice that you would disagree with. I need to not do the same with you because of the type of schooling that we have chosen. Maybe it's how should children get together and get married? Should they date? Should they court? Should they dort? You know, something in between. Should you boycott this business or that? Good Christians boycott this business. I mean, that's... Those aren't biblical things. You can, have, you can choose what you want to do, but you don't need to make everyone choose that or even make that an issue. What about politics? What about parenting styles? What about personal appearance? You know, in the circles I grew up, hair length or, or skirt length was, was a big deal. What about psychotropic meds? What about Santa Claus? What about celebrating Halloween? I'm trying to step on everyone's toes. If I, if I didn't step on yours... Just know I tried. Should I refuse anyone who dances or chews or, or even hangs out with those who do? This pulpit is not going to be pounded on those subjects. And I'm not saying that there aren't important things to consider in those subjects. 
But don't make the church family a soapbox for your opinions. And don't put scripture in a box of your traditions. Let's get off our hobby horses. And let's get back to focusing on Christ who is returning on his horse. Amen? And we can get our focus off him so easily. I can get my focus off him so easily. I can be guilty of much of what I've talked about here. We need to keep our focus on Christ. And as we focus on him, we remember that he faced sinful judgment. Like we'll never face. He faced judgment for sin. He, he faced judgment for the very sin of judgment that we've been guilty of this past week. And Jesus faced God's judgment on the cross. He, he faced the fullness of that judgment that we will never as believers have to face. He was judged for the sinful motives that only he can see and that he will deal with for those who do not repent. And he died on the cross for all those sins so that we don't ever have to face that judgment eternally. And so, don't pass judgment in those areas. Welcome them. And why? Chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Your brother, your sister may be weak in some areas. So are you. Be welcoming as Christ was to you. Paul said in Romans 5, it was while we were still weak, while we were without strength that Christ died for us. It was in our moment of weakness that he died for us and welcomed us. So don't look down on others. Don't think you're better. Look up to Jesus who sees your worst sin and welcomes you anyways because of his love, because of his grace, and he can help you be better at grace. If you're convicted of your sin, confess it to the Lord. If it's affected others, confess it to them. Pursue peace, like verse 19 says. And let's thank him. I'm, I'm thankful that we are not clones of each other. I'm thankful that we're not in a cookie-cutter mold I wish I could get everyone to, to think like me. But I say that half-jokingly. I'm actually glad it's a wonderful thing that the body of Christ can come together and think differently on certain things but be in unity and in harmony because of Christ. There's a wonderful thing when diversity comes together in unity. And so Romans 15:6 says, and we're going to do this now, that together you may with one voice glorify God. So we're going to sing, and our song is going to talk about how with one voice we sing to the Lord. Let's think about these words that we're about to sing. Our Father, we thank you for your grace that is greater than all sins. I pray that you would help us to judge others charitably and not critically. And when we do have to speak of things, that we would do it privately and not publicly and gently and not harshly that we would not assume things or judge by outward appearance or judge another's heart, that we can ask where we have concerns, but help us, Lord, to be gracious and to live in light of the gospel because you have been so gracious to us. We pray these things in Christ's merciful name. Amen.